God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He's so good to me. He loves me so. He loves me so. He loves me so. He's so good to
come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved the air, I knew him. would come in off the streets there and stuff and you'd have a service man them guys could sing that song like i mean boy they just gave it all the gusto in the world they meant every word of what they were singing it was really exciting to sing it with them <clears throat> more power more of you in my life more love more power more of you in my life and i will worship you with all of my heart and i will worship you with all of my mind and I will worship you with all of my strength, for you are my Lord, you are my Lord, more love, more power, more of you in my life. And I will seek your face with all of my strength, for you are my Lord, you are my Lord, more love, more 
worship you with all of my mind, and I will worship you with all of my strength, for you are my Lord, you are my Lord. This song is so beautiful. Um, I don't know if we've sang it here before or not, but it talks about, um, you know, when the dark trials come and when our hearts are filled with the weight of doubt, uh, we will praise him still. Um, but I love the last line. It says, by his good grace, I will praise him still. Like the only way that we can still praise him in the midst of suffering and grief and loss is by his good grace. Like he gives us grace every day to be able to face whatever it is that we're facing whatever it is that we're walking through, it's not by our own strength. It's the power of his goodness and his grace in our lives. And I'm so thankful for that this week. When the morning falls on the farthest hill, I will sing his name, I will praise him still. When dark trials come and my heart is filled with the weight of doubt, I will praise him still.
come before you today And there's just one thing that I want to say Thank you morning in First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, I think it was, that Papa was reading that no temptation has come beyond what we can endure. And I think sometimes we feel like everything's a little too overwhelming, but our faith is there for that. God has given us a faith, and he's always there right beside us, and he'll hold us fast if we trust in him, no matter what may come towards us.
last week. Brighter than the brightest star. 
Got a brilliant light to shining down over us, breaking through the darkness, covering all the earth. Oh, oh, oh its love is like an ocean. Oh, oh, oh forever overflowing. The God of brilliant light is shining over us. Sinners come to the cross. Lay your troubles down at the foot of the one whose mercy will abound. He's not afraid of our filth. He will never turn away. The God of brilliant light is shining down over us, breaking through the darkness, covering all the earth. Oh, oh, oh its love is like an ocean. Oh, oh, oh Shining over us, shining over us, like the morning rises, God your light is shining, shining over us, shining over us, like the morning rises, God your light is shining, shining over us. God a brilliant light is shining down over us. Breaking through the darkness, covering all the earth. Oh, 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 its love is like an ocean. Oh, oh, oh forever overflowing. The God of brilliant light shining over us. Sing it out, shout it loud. Cover all the earth, let the sound of the saints Everywhere be heard, praise the God who has come to cure our every broken heart. Amen. You may be seated.
How are you guys this morning? Good. It's so good to have you back, Lexi and JJ and Caleb. We missed you guys. And Dom, did you have a good trip? Yeah. Welcome back to the snow. Okay, so I have a story for you guys this morning, and it's a really, it's kind of a scary story, like it could have ended really bad. It could have ended with a lot of people dying. Do you guys like being out on a boat when it's really stormy outside? You don't? You don't like to be in a little canoe out on the ocean when the waves are, you know, going crazy? No. Yeah, I don't know if there's few things that sound scarier to me than that. Like, I don't even want to go into like a big cruise ship because it kind of sounds a little scary to me to be out in the middle of the ocean because what if a storm comes, right? Yeah, that'd be crazy. What? Yeah, I'd rather fly across the ocean for sure. Yes, drinking some coffee and reading a book and crossing the ocean, right? Okay. So this one, though, is about when Jesus showed up when they were super scared they were on the boat. I'm sure you've heard the story. Okay, so Jesus wanted to be alone. He told his disciples to row their boat across the Sea of Galilee, and he would join them later on the other side. He climbed into the hills to think and pray to God. He wanted to go off and be by himself for a while. But when he got high up in the hills, he looked out over the water, and he saw the men were having trouble rowing against the wind. For every ten feet or so they rowed, the wind blew them back five. They were really getting scared. By dark, they were only halfway across and so tired they could hardly lift an oar. They were wearing out because the sea was so stormy, and they didn't know if they were going to make it. Suddenly, the disciples, the disciple named Peter saw a figure walking across the water toward the boat. Now, this really happened. Sometimes we hear these stories in the Bible, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've heard them all our life. But can you imagine seeing someone come walking on the water towards you? Would you be kind of scared? No. I don't know. I think I would maybe be a little bit scared. I don't know. They said, what is it? It's a man, they said. A man can't walk on water, gasped another. Do you think they thought they were seeing things? Maybe they thought they were hallucinating. Another one said, it must be a ghost. Uh, do you think they actually believed in ghosts? But the figure came closer and said, don't be afraid. It is I, Jesus. What? Lord, said Peter, if it is you, let me walk on the water too. Huh. Peter was kind of funny, huh? Can you imagine saying that? If it's really you, then tell me to come walk on the water too. I don't know if I would have said that. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Did he say come? Yes, he said come. Um, so Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on the water, and stood by, beside Jesus. But then, uh-oh, Peter started looking around and probably started thinking, this is crazy. Am I dreaming? What in the world? Look at these huge waves. They're going to crash over me. And he shouted, I'm sinking, as he started going down under the waves. Immediately, Jesus grasped Peter's hands and stopped him from sinking. Oh, you have little faith, said Jesus. Why do you doubt me? Jesus led Peter to the boat. The wind died down, and the disciples were able to row safely to shore. Do you want to see this, the pictures? 
isn't that cool? So I was thinking, um, what are some waves, like we might not be out, you know, on a little boat ourselves, scared, needing Jesus to come save us on a little boat. Maybe someday we will, but what are some waves that are in our lives, things that kind of make us scared or doubt God sometimes? The what? What was that? Sharks. Oh, that's a really good one. Sharks are scary. King cobras. Okay, nothing scares me quite quite as much as a snake. So yes, snakes are can be waves in our lives that we can be scared about. What about the dark? Are you guys ever scared of the dark? Sometimes I am a little bit, and I I pray and I ask God to help me not be scared. What about maybe when someone we love dies? You're not scared of. Oh, man. Oh, no. A Komodo dragon will bite your nose. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we don't want that. So that's something I haven't ever thought of being scared about, but now I'm thinking about that. Or dragons. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) So there's lots of things in this world that can make us feel scared or wonder, is God real? But you know what? You know what's a secret? Whenever we ask Jesus to come help us, he does. He shows up right there, right next to us. Whether we're scared at night in our beds and we're thinking things that we don't, we're, that make us feel scared, if we ask Jesus to come, he will come and he will He will always show up, even if we don't see him with our eyes. And he will comfort our hearts. He will give us peace. And he will help us. That's what he does. That's who he is. He loves to help us. So just remember, next time you feel extra scared or a little bit, maybe you're not sure about something, just pray to Jesus, and he will come help you. Okay? Oh, yeah, we don't need to be afraid of ghosts even because you know what? Jesus is even more powerful. He's stronger than all of those things. He's stronger than those big, massive waves, and he's stronger than all the things that make us scared. Isn't that good news? Okay, you can go back to your seat. Good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. Welcome to each one of you. And braved the cold and the snow. Um, but no matter what the season does, in fact, because of the seasons, we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. Seasons come, they go. But it's always the same now in Colorado. Our weather can differ from day to day, but spring, summer, fall, or harvest time, winter keeps going on and on. It doesn't all of a sudden change up and uh, while our, we do have weather spring, uh, swings in Colorado, it's not going to be uh, 
100 degrees tomorrow for a week and everything start growing and then snow back down on us again. God is a God of faithfulness and and our uh, even our seasons around us show the faithfulness of God and his order. Thank you all for joining in with us in our worship this morning. Sarah for the children's lesson. For announcements, uh, I don't think we have too much. Is it this week that's the book study? 14th at uh, Papa's house, right? Thank you for opening your house for that. Uh, we have a meal following the service as usual. Please stay for that. And I believe Phil's going to uh, share the word with us here this morning. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for this time together. Thank you for your faithfulness through life, through the seasons of life, just like the weather. Uh, You're faithful through every season and you never fail. We thank you for that. I pray that you would open your word to us this morning and that you would speak to each one of us. You know the need of each heart and life here this morning. I pray that your word would be real and alive in each one of us and build us up, Father, in our faith. Show us the things that we need to hear this morning. Pray for our brother Phil as he speaks, that he would speak the words that you have for him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That's the Lord's promise to us, you know. Have you read that promise? After he destroyed the earth with a flood? In Genesis chapter 8, the Lord gave a promise to man. Most of us remember the sign of the promise. What's the sign? A rainbow. rainbow. But do you remember the promise? And more, that's correct, he won't, he'll never flood the whole earth again. But then he gives us more promises. He continues the promise with this word in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 8. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. There you have it, God's order. So the world is afraid about a lot of things that they see happening in our earth, on, on the earth today, and all of these scientific things that they say is happening. There's a lot of fear in a lot of people's hearts about it. Go back to God's word. Let your soul, your faith be anchored in his promise. And you'll faithfully, he will guide you through every season. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified through your word today. Not through what I say, through your word. That you speak through the power of your Holy Spirit into every heart. As you write it 
on our minds and on our hearts, just like your new covenant of promise that you gave to us that you will do so by your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that you would take your word that you have exalted, glorified, even above your name, and you would let it be a life-giving spirit today to every one of us, to transform us, to continually, Lord, change our inner man from discouragement filling our hearts with hope from sin into the glorious freedom of Jesus Christ deliverance from it from fear to love for perfect love casts out all fear Lord you know the condition of our hearts as we sit here today as we come to this place, you know the condition of hearts of men and women who will hear this word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will do its work in all of our hearts through the power of your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go there, we have birthdays this month. Uh, we didn't do it last Sunday, so we're going to do it this Sunday. Happy birthday to all of you. Let's have the list. Anna, Olga, Tiffany. Yours is tomorrow, Tiffy. And Katie, Anthony, and Ruth Ann. Did you notice there's two people who have the same birthdays on the same day? What's with that? But not the same year. But they won't put that out there. Wonder why. Anyway, <clears throat> happy birthday to all of you. The numbers blessing that God spoke to bless the sons of Israel, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I will bless them. Many times... We ask people, what do you want for your birthday? I think our Heavenly Father is saying, hey children, what would you like for your birthday? Is there one thing that you desire from me this year? What would you say? Okay, I gave you a moment and you all answered it. Unless you weren't paying attention. What did you ask for? Could you with David say these words? And by the way, when David said these words, he received them. In Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That means every day, not every Sunday, all the days of my life. I may dwell in his presence to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That was the one thing he asked from the Lord. Did he get it? Yes or no? Did he get it? You're not sure? Oh, you should read his last words. 
First Chronicles chapter 29. It tells us he got it. And he ended, he ended his life by giving everything he owned, all of his inheritance back to the Lord to build the temple. Because that's where his heart was. And God had something to say about this man that he didn't say about any other man who ever lived, that he recorded in his word. This man is a man after my own heart. Because that was the one thing he sought for. But today, through Jesus Christ, he's offering that to you and me. What do you want for your birthday? The Lord is asking. What would you like? Oh, let's sing happy birthday, shall we? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear everyone. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing our slow turtle walk through this book intentionally slow when you begin as a child of God to read God's word and receive it like a little child begins to read then you will gain the wisdom of God from what you read how does a little child begin to read you moms and dads know right Anyone tell me? Do you remember learning to read? Nope. Who does? How did you learn? Yeah, how did you learn? Your mom taught you, but do you remember what it was like? Did you just start reading like, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Is that how you began to read? Ah. Ah, yes, huh? Meme? What did you say? Believe. Okay. I'll tell you a funny story. I remember many years ago, Katie and I were babysitting some of our nieces. They're now in college. <clears throat> but this little girl, I won't say her name in case she listens sometime, gets embarrassed, but she, she was just beginning to read. Now, Katie and I never had to teach anyone to read because uh, in our adopted love family, uh, we just never had that experience. So this was a new experience for me. And her mom was very specific. She must read every day. Their parents went on vacation, or I think it was to a wedding, and we were babysat them for almost a week. She must read every day. So she sat down, and she began to read like that. She began with one letter, ah, 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 a, 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 no, ah. Is it ah? Ah, ah. I'm just going to make up a word, because I don't remember what she was reading. And then she'd go, peep, up. Up, up. Then 
you go to the next one. P, 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 P. L, L, no, apple, apple, L, apple. And she began, that's how she spelled out the words. She would make the noise of each letter, trying to make the letter make sense in the word. Putting it in its context, apple. Oh, all of a sudden the light bulb went off. <gasps> apple, that's what that, that's how you say that word. She was learning to read with the word, understanding what it meant. This is how we receive the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless we become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so many Christians today are discouraged, are even depressed. Their hearts wander and want many, many things rather than what David wanted from God. And eventually, they become very worldly. You know what I mean by that word? It's not what you think it means, unless you know the scriptures. You see, 1 John chapter 2 defines what the worldly person is like. He that is, I'm going to read it to you so I don't mess it up. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone, including you and me, anyone means anyone. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's worldliness. For all that is in the world, oh, wait, what? In me. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that means the things that my body longs for, desires, all the toys, all the sugar, all the caffeine I think I need. Well, you just put anything in the world in there and it'll fit. All that the flesh wants and thinks it needs. That it desires for. That's what the word lust means. When I lust for, it simply means a strong, passionate desire for. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, everything you see. Wow, look at that truck. Cool. Look at that boat. How about an airplane? Well, no, those are the rich people. Let's just say, wow, cool shoes. Have you ever noticed that when a little, little child gets new shoes, they keep looking down at their shoes? It, it, their eyes just follow the new shoes. And if you don't notice the shoes after a while, it won't take very long for them to say, Did you notice I got new shoes? And everybody looks at the shoes and goes, Cool! The lust of the eye means that when your eye sees it, you want it. Your heart follows your eyes. Your heart's desire follows your eyes. It's a lie. 
and it'll deceive you every time to say, I'm only going to go window shopping. No, you're not. No, you're not. Right? Unless someone stronger than your own heart has your wallet, you probably won't only window shop. Your money will follow your eyes eventually. Unless you're on a strong budget or you can't afford it, outside influences that are stronger than your eyes, beholding all the things you'd like, keep you from spending the money. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and, oh, I'm a disciplined man. I seen that new truck and I walked away. I seen those new shoes and I don't look at them because my heart isn't in my shoes. Oh, you think you look cool in that shirt? Yeah, well, I don't need to look cool. I'm a cowboy. <laughs> the pride of life. So in case you just said, when you were here sitting thinking, oh, I don't, I don't lust at the flesh. I've got that. I'm a disciplined Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't live by the lust of the flesh. I don't love this world. I love the Father and only the Father. There's no love of the world in me. Oh, no, no, I certainly don't follow the lust of my eyes. No way. I don't lust after all those things I see or lust after pretty girls or after handsome boys. No, my eyes pure. Only on Jesus. I'm a monk. I live behind four walls and I only read God's word. And they went to hell. The Pharisee who walked into God's temple. Lord, I thank you I'm not like that guy back there. He's a sinner. I fast twice a week. I read your word. Jesus said, that man went to hell. He did not walk away justified. He walked away condemned as a sinner. But the sinner who acknowledged his sin so much so, he wouldn't even lift up his head. He just beat his chest saying, God, be merciful. He was there to receive mercy. What did he get? Mercy. He walked out justified. Jesus used that word on purpose, justified, because he walked out cleansed just as if he had never sinned. That's the definition of worldliness. Read the Bible slowly and you will find its meaning. I found for years in my life as a Christian, I read the Bible so that I could please God. I read the Bible so that I, I could appease my conscience because I felt bad if I didn't read the Bible every day. And even after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, preachers would tell me, if you don't read God's Word, if you don't spend at least two hours a day when quiet time with God's Word, you are a joke. Your Christian life isn't real. And I believed them. I trembled when I heard those words. 
I believed it. And so I made it a goalpost of my life to read God's Word and spend those two hours every day. But life happened. And when I didn't, I felt so condemned. Today, my Christian life is a joke. That means God's laughing at me when I fail Him. He's like, yeah, He ain't serious. Is your Christian life a joke? These were men that I had high respect for. Men that you know. Maybe you've read their books and they've written it down for you to read still today, though they've died a long time ago. Good men who love the Lord with all their hearts. They were serious about their walk with God. They read the Bible through once a month. Yeah. Men who read the New Testament through once a month. You want to try that? It's only six, six chapters a day. You'll read it through once a month. The New Testament. Every month. Matthew to Revelation. You can do that. If you'll spend two hours a day doing it. You can do that. I can do that. Is that how you receive God's word? Is that how you're trying to establish peace with God? Is that how you are going about not being worldly? How's it working out for you? And then, because we look at that standard, we hear that, and it doesn't work out for us. Don't they know I have to go to work at 6 in the morning? Or 3 in the morning? Don't they know? I have to work hard all day and I come home at 6 o'clock at night and I'm a busy man. I've got a family. Or maybe you're a young person and you've got things to do. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of things that, you know, I want to enjoy in life. I can't. How am I supposed to? Oh, well, forget it. You know what? I'm going to go find myself a preacher that says, you don't even have to read God's Word. Just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is the letter, Romans chapter 7. It'll kill you. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so, there are many Christians who take this position. I'm going to live life in the Spirit. I'm delivered from the letter of the law, from that kind of legalism that says you must worship God in certain amount of time, in a certain way, reading the text in so many hours or so much a year. I'm free from all that. Christ has set me free. I don't need to read the Bible. I can just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit every day. And it's okay. Which one are you? Are you in either camp? Or how's it working out for you this morning? You're doing something with it. One day the Holy Spirit came into my heart and he gave me what he gave to David. This one thing I will seek after, that I may live in the presence of the Lord every day. And yes, 
He did it through His Word. See, I tried all that. And I could do it for a while. But it was full of condemnation with the moment I had to, something disrupted me. And the Lord did a marvelous thing in my life, like He does to most of us. He likes to disrupt our goals, our ideals that we get from other men through an act of God, a miracle. And that miracle came to me in the form of a baby, our son Christian. And I was a young 26-year-old man. Hmm, maybe I was, I guess I was 28 then. Yeah, 28-year-old man. Full of these zeals and ideals. Not only for myself, but to share it with others. Because I was called to serve and minister the Word of God to others. And the Lord gives us this precious little baby. And that Saturday night when we went down there and received him from his mama, from the nursery and the hospital, came home with him that Monday. And the next Sunday, well, that very week. Can you guess what happened to my sleep patterns that week? Craig can. He's grinning like, oh yeah, I know all that dad stuff. Right? What happened? What do you think happened, Crit? <laughs> My world turned upside down, that's for sure. Because you see, I had this, been taught this ideal and had embraced it in my heart from 4 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the morning is my quiet time and no one will rob me of that. My Christian life is not going to be a joke. No one will take that from me. And then Christian was born. And he didn't seem to care if he robbed that from me. He would cry and want his daddy, his mommy at nighttime. And by four o'clock in the morning, mommy was wore out. And she'd say, could you please take him? I remember the first time it happened. And she came into the bedroom and she laid him on my chest because, you know, I was sleeping just so perfectly. Plop! Ah, the baby Christian was wailing and squirming and I was like, who's this? She said, would you please just hold him? I can't. I need a little bit of time to sleep. Oh, no, I can't do that. I said, no way. I, I'm, 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 it's just a few minutes, so I get up and I spend my time with God. I, I, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that, honey. Please, please, hon, I'm exhausted. And interesting enough, she just crawled on the other side of bed and she was out. I mean, she can, she can turn her lights out in like a minute. She is snoring. She is out. She was quiet and sleeping, and Christian was wide awake looking at me. His face right in my face. What are you going to do now? That's what I heard my Father in Heaven say. What are you going to do now? Are you going to love me and learn to love me through the love I've shared with you outside of your paradigm, this little ideal in your mind of how you're going to serve me? 
well, how can I read my Bible when I have my crying baby? And I got up, and I began to walk him. And this Christian in those early days, for some reason, he had this thing that as soon as we'd sit down, uh, uh, he'd cry. Or you'd lay him down, he'd cry. But as soon as we would hold him and we, walk, we were walking, he'd quit crying. And so we just began to walk him around the kitchen, walking him, walking him, talking to him. And he's just happy, happy. I wasn't happy. I was complaining in my heart. What is this, Lord? What are you doing to me? What are you, you're going to make my Christian life a joke? I can't, I can't do this. What's going on? And the Lord began to say to me, sing, sing over him. Open my word on the kitchen counter. Read it to him. Read it to yourself and see if I won't fellowship with you. I'm sharing this with you because that was the first time in my life since I had been born of the Spirit and filled with His Word and had all of these wonderful ideals of my life of what it means to live in His presence every day and read His Word to know Him. I was sincere. I was passionately sincere. And the Lord changed it up. And it was like the Lord opened a whole new door of life for me and I went through that door into a room of the presence of God I had never known before in my life he shared it with me through a baby a baby who couldn't speak yet all I could do was cry and eat and fill his diapers he needed all my love and care but he, he was the entrance into the kingdom of Christ for me. That was life-giving. In a way I had never experienced before. Life-giving. Except you and I receive God's word like a little child. You cannot enter. You can't enter as a student, as a scribe. You can't enter as a lawyer. You can't enter as a someone who thinks they know everything and want to learn some more. You can't enter as a preacher. You can't enter as a professor, only as a little child. And if you and I go there, allow the Lord to take us into his word, you're going to be absolutely amazed, stunned, and wonderfully excited because there is where Christ will pour out His Spirit through His Word, a life-giving Spirit. Like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, the first man, Adam, was earthy. He was earthy. I was still trying to serve God in my earthy way. But the second man, comes from heaven is a life-giving spirit. Real life. And now I had to love and care for and enjoy God with. Enjoy God with. This is how you get to live the word you read.
This is how. You live the word you read. In John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, it tells us this about Jesus and is still true today. In my life and in your life. Verse 12, John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood. You didn't shed your blood for it. Nor of the will of the flesh. That's not how. Not through your will, through your determination nor of the will of man. Other men's wills for you will not take you there, but of God. And the Word became flesh. Yep, little baby. Flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's where we get grace to help in time of need. When the Word becomes flesh and God our Father has the most amazing ways of giving us this opportunity every day. Because this is who He became, Jesus. And now this wonderful hope that He gives to every living person is Christ in you the hope of glory not Christ around you not Christ in the pulpit not Christ in the workplace not Christ in the church pew Christ in you in you this afternoon right now tonight Christ in you when you're watching the Super Bowl or you're not watching the Super Bowl Whichever way you are. Because we like to judge each other around these things. Christ in you. The hope of glory. This kind of glory. The Word becoming flesh in you. This Word is a life-giving spirit. We get to live it and experience it. Oh, it'll change your Christian life. If you find this secret to your child of God, you're going to love this book more than anything else in the world. It's your life-giving spirit. That's the secret to knowing God. What do you love? If you try to read this book to please Him, you'll end up like I did. And Christ will love you enough to change up your world and let this word become flesh in your life. And then all the things that you loved of the world will begin to fade away. And your love will be centered on these words. Why? Because like I shared with Lucas last night. This is a love letter from God. He said to me, Dad, it's hard to love somebody you can't see. Like, isn't it, don't you find it difficult? We're, we're, said, we're told we should love God, but I haven't seen God. And it's hard to always know what he means. 
These words are sometimes hard to understand, especially Paul's epistles. Well, guess what? You're not a stranger to that. Even Apostle Peter thought so. Have you read that? 2 Peter chapter 3, the end of the chapter. He ends, Peter ends his two epistles with those words. Apostle Paul's words are deep and hard to be understood. But he gives us a warning. Some men, because they are so, throw them out of their life. And they do it to their own destruction. So if you think it's hard, yeah, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why when we come to God's Word like a little child and we allow Him to take the truth of this Word and make it full of grace and truth in my life and make me live it, becomes an understanding Word because He gives us of His Holy Spirit to help us with these things. When you begin to see that this is God's love letter to you, it's how he, you get to know him. You can't see him with your physical eyes, but my spirit also has eyes. You can see something in your heart just like you can see things in your imagination. Think about it with me. How many of you have ever seen anything in your imagination? Come on, all of us, right? Imagine with me. Imagine with me, Nebuchadnezzar, building this golden image out in the desert of Arabia, out by Babylon, which is Iraq now. And he's calling the multitude of people, all of Babylon together, to worship this golden image. And it was very tall. Does someone know how tall it was? You should look it up. Around 30 feet tall. And he says, Hey, everyone, if you're here... The noise of the flutes and the, all these musical instruments, everybody bow down and worship. And so the music started. And everyone, probably hundreds of thousands of people were there. Everybody bows down. Except for three men. Not bowing down. You know the story, right? Oh, you just replayed it in your mind. I got you to do that. Through the power of suggestion, every one of you in your imagination seen it, right? You were there in Iraq, in the desert, with Nebuchadnezzar, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You were right there in your imagination. Your imagination has a vision, has a, eyes where you see things in your head. So does your spirit. Our spirit is full of the vision of Christ, who He is. Not what He looks like physically, who He is. His kindness, His love, His gentleness, the truth and grace which, which He speaks and shares with us. Our hearts have eyes that can see Him and we see Him in here because He does a really good job describing things to us himself to us when you read it slowly like a little child learning to read you'll find its meaning Colossians chapter 1 
Yep, we're getting started. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Not in church, not in your devotional time, not in your bedtime at night when you say your night prayers. In everything. Everything you have, everything you own, everything you are, everything you do. Everything means everything. Is that what it means to you? Have you read this before? Has Christ taken you to this place? Where he, because he is the head of the church, and he was the first person ever to be raised from the dead ever. Now, he did raise Lazarus from the dead. He raised that little girl from the dead. And others, those guys that had the body of the dead man and Elisha's tomb was there and they were running for their lives and they threw him in there in Elisha's tomb, he rose from the dead. But no one else ever rose from the dead alone. Without the help of others, he did. Only through the power of his Father in heaven, the power of the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus from the dead. That had never happened before. So he is the firstborn, the first one to ever raise from the dead without the help and aid of another person. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he says to us, to you and me, in Romans chapter 8, these most amazing words. And when you experience it, and when I do, there is an amazing today, every day, as of what they were the first time it happened to me. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also raise you up from the dead. Will also give life to your mortal body, not only your spirit, your body, the Word, becomes flesh. You lit out the Word in your body through His Spirit who indwells in you. It's a secret. So many who profess to know Jesus don't experience. And the reason that they are so subject to sin and are still enslaved to their own thoughts, to their own ways, and they're frustrated when God upsets their ways throughout the day, is because they don't know this here. They haven't experienced this, the Word becoming flesh today. God doing His purpose in your life today, not your plans. It's good to make plans. Proverbs 16, a man's mind plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. That's faith. And if you and I live every day like that, the word will become flesh in us. 
Christ will come to have first place in everything. Not immediately. Not a big bang. One day at a time. Christ becoming more important in your life than anything and anyone else. And you will begin to fulfill the first great commandment. You know what it is? What's the first great commandment that Jesus gave us? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything you got will love the Lord. He is before all things, and in him all your life holds together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of your life to dwell in him. All of the fullness of everything, but of your and my life to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything in your life back to himself. All things. You know what the word reconcile means? Have you reconciled your checkbook lately? If not, you're probably in for a surprise. Maybe this week. What happens when you don't reconcile your checkbook? Oh, the kids don't know anything about checkbooks. Hmm. Well... Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was in Norway, they said, you Americans are weird people. You still write checks? Like, nobody writes checks around here. We all play, pay with apps and, you know, we, we pay with credit cards. Nobody, it's not even accepted in their economy. But in our economy, we're still homeschooled, you know, old schooled. Many of us still write checks. Have you ever written a check? Yep. What happened if you didn't reconcile your checkbook that month? Ooh, you might write a check for money you don't have. You lose track of how much money is actually in your checking account. In Seoul, every month, the bank sends you a statement. This is how much money we have recorded you have deposited into your checking account. And this is, these are the checks you wrote, the money going out. In, out. You take that with your little book, your record, you take your record, you compare it with the bank's record, and it better be the same. If the numbers are not the same, you're scratching your head. You'll sit up that night trying to make it the same. Because I know the fear in my heart when that happened to me the first time. <gasps> I redid that math and redid that math and redid that math. Somewhere I wrote a check I didn't record. Somewhere, where is this? And in most cases, the banks don't make the mistake. Right? In most cases, we've made the mistake. Did you get what he's saying here with this word? For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you. 
me. He's reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him reconciled, holy. That means clean from all sin and blameless, no fault and beyond reproach. Wouldn't you want to... Is, it, is that how you want to be in his sight? Holy, blameless, beyond reproach. The only way you and I get to actually know this is true in my heart today, every day, is if he reconciles us. We're not the ones doing the reconciliation. He is. And we have Christ who continues to take our count of sins and take them up to his heavenly record book and he reconciles it. Not through the things we do or have done, but because he died to pay the penalty of the debt that we acquired through our sins. We acquire the debt, the penalty for the sin. And he alone can reconcile me every day. Making me holy, blameless, beyond reproach. So don't let your own mind miss this reconciliation. And most importantly, don't let your spirit miss it. And don't think you can somehow reconcile yourself. You can't. He does it. He's the accountant and the banker. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. He reconciles us to himself. And he reconciles us to each other. He reconciles us to each other. If indeed you continue in the faith, verse 23, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And then he continues to talk about the church. He reconciles us to each other and we become the church. The church is not consisted of one individual. The church is consisted of many individuals. It's not by accident, dear brother, sister, that the moment the Holy Spirit came on the earth and for the first time filled human beings who were not Christ, He reconciled them to God, filling them with His own presence, making their bodies His temple. There were only 120 who experienced it initially. But in that day, by the end of that day, there were over 3,000 who joined them. The first day the Holy Spirit came to the earth, the church was born. The church. Would you have wanted to be outside of the church that day? Like, no, Lord, just do it with me alone, in my closet, just by myself. Nobody else. Make me unique. But isn't that exactly the temptation the Holy Spirit so often when He comes into our lives that we want from Him? Make me someone special. Someone unique. Greater than. Someone who has a revelation that nobody else gets from the Holy Spirit. 
something that I can share with others so that I'm needed in the church. Oh, don't be deceived. The Holy Spirit comes to us to make us the church, reconciling us to Him and to each other. I've been reading a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. I'm going to read just a short excerpt. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief, single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Carrie shared with us the other night. hope you don't mind I share this. It's been almost 17 years that we did church life together. And he was sharing how he's sometimes a bit like wondering how this is going to go over in Thailand, you know. He's, even though we're, he's, they're going to be an extension of us over there, they're not going to be living physically here anymore with us every Sunday and throughout the week. And they're going to be doing life over there. We're still part of the church of Jesus Christ, but we're not doing the local exercise of the church. daily, yearly expression, relationships that we get reconciled to Christ together. It's an amazing thing. The Lord does lead us in different places and that is good. But don't miss the Lord's leading. So many Christians have decided they have this individual experience with God alone and it's unique to them that they don't need others in it. That's not how the Holy Spirit came and He still doesn't operate like that. He builds the church, His body. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It means first that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means second that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. It means, third, that in Jesus Christ we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. Just a short excerpt. One of the most blessed experiences the Lord has given me since He filled me with the Holy Spirit is the church. Reconciling myself into others' lives to be a part of His body. And though this, this group of people, as you were, for lack of better words, can sometimes hurt us more than anything else in the world, I love it more than anything else in the world. It has brought me more gray hair than anything else in the world. And yet I love it more than anything else in the world. It may have given you more heartache, more breaking of yourself, more cost you more money than anything else in the world. And yet, because we have invested, no, no, no. Stop that train of thought. Because he reconciles us together. It becomes the most precious relationship on earth. 
the most precious. Someone told me last couple weeks ago, you know, Phil, someone said to me, someone told me that someone said, you ever get that in your life? Take it seriously if they say that. Someone told me that someone told them, Phil just preaches the same thing every Sunday. Like every time he preaches, he just preaches the same thing. Yep. And it's intentional. Years ago, the brother who ordained me to the ministry, who was like a spiritual mentor, like a daddy to me for so many years, said something that startled me. But I began to realize it's true. And the older I get and the longer I'm in the church, a part of the church, the more I see the fallout of this. You might be shocked at what he said. Back in those days were the days of cassette tapes, right? And so we didn't have live stream. We didn't have digital recordings. We didn't have the smartphones, kids. It was an era you'd know nothing about. It was old school. Way back in the 1900s, man. Long time ago. Long before you were born. I know, but hear me out. The point is the same. All their sermons were recorded on cassette tape. And they had a ministry where they would mail out these cassette tapes all throughout the United States and Canada and Mexico and even in other parts of the world. Every Sunday, they had a mailing list. And he said after one year, usually at the end of the year, he would look, he would, the, the guys who ran the tape ministry, as they called it, who did all the duplication of tapes and mailed them out, took the phone calls, and they put a list together of the most popular sermons that were sent out that year. And he said, I preached one sermon that year on titled, The Preeminence of Jesus Christ. And he said, it was the least ordered sermon of the year. You know what people wanted? The godly home. The man in his workplace. God is a God of modesty, how to dress, how to live. People want practical truth to guide them. They want preachers to tell them how to live. Or they don't want preachers to tell them how to live. Some more like that. That struck my heart and made me weep, and he was weeping over it. And he said, you know what we've done, Phil? You know what we've done? We have built a culture in this church and in all the churches around us who fellowship with us, we have built this culture of Christianity and Christ isn't in it. Because when I preach of Christ, having first place, nobody wants to hear it. You see, you can try to follow God and please God through all the do's and don'ts of the Bible, through all the men's ideas of do's and don'ts that convictions the Holy Spirit gives them, and you'll totally miss Christ. Your relationship with us is not about Christ. It's about your convictions. It's about your dress standards. 
It's about the similarity of, uh, we're homeschooled families. We have these convictions and these convictions, and we all agree on what we believe. And so we put it out there, this is what we believe. And it separates us from all of other Christianity. It makes us a holy people. Different than everybody else. Unique in the body of Christ. And you know what the telltale sign is? This is it. When they come together to fellowship, what do they talk about? What's their conversation like? Is Christ in it? Or are they talking about the similar convictions they share, the lifestyle they have, how they got to be those, have those convictions, how they got to, you know, know this certain preacher. I was in another church relationship where there was a very prominent teacher and he wrote many books. And I appreciated the man and loved him deeply and, and appreciated many of his teachings. They were, they were good, solid teachings of truth. But when we come in church conferences, this is how the conversation went. When you went to meet a stranger, you'd say, Hi there, who are you? Isaiah. Isaiah, I'm Phil. How did you get to come here? Uh, how did you get to hear about you know, Phil preaching here? And how did you get to know Phil? Hallelujah! He gave a good answer. He has no clue. Maybe that's a telltale sign that that's not who we are. When a young person among us is not entranced with the preacher, doesn't care about the preacher, Christ has first place in our conversations. What's Christ in you, the hope of glory, doing how is he becoming flesh in your life this week? How is he encouraging you? How is he discipling you? How is he training you? What's he, what did he teach you this week? Did he teach you anything? Christ, your teacher. Did you know that Jesus said it just like that? In Matthew 23, he said, Call no man your teacher. What? That word in the Greek means rabbi or pastor. I'm pointing at Steve because, you know, I'm training you people not to call me Pastor Phil. Don't call me Teacher Phil. It's not who I am. I am Brother Phil. I'm a brother just like anybody else here is a brother. I am called to pastor and teach God's word that you may not be called to do like I am, but that's not who I am. I am your brother. That's who I am. So call me Brother Phil. Plus, Jesus forbade it. Don't call any man your father. You have one father in heaven who is father of you all. You are all brethren. Matthew 23. You should read it for yourself. Don't call any man your teacher. You have one teacher. Who is he? Someone, please tell me. Jesus. Christ is your teacher. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go to school and you have a teacher, surely you're spending quite a bit of t They're teaching you things or you wouldn't call them teacher, right? You don't call someone your teacher if they're not, your te if they're not teaching you anything. Teacher means they're teaching me. Look at these amazing words. 
I don't know if you've known them or read them, but I hope so. In 1 John chapter 2, John says, verse 25, And this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. What does it look like? These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. You don't need a man to teach you anything when you receive the anointing from Him. Why? But as His anointing teaches you about everything, all things, there's nothing in this book that the anointing won't teach you. His anointing will teach you everything you need to know about life and godliness. And it's true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in Him, not in a person, in Christ. First place in everything. That's what you call discipleship. And it comes through the church. I highly recommend it. If you want to read a really good book on togetherness in the church, this is a good book. You can find it on Amazon for a few dollars. Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's challenging me in ways that I needed to be challenged. Though Christ is our only teacher, Christ has given us men who have lived life before us, and that's why we have each other. We are called to stimulate each other to good works, to love and to good works, and so we need each other. He's a part of the church that I need and that you need. And he's encouraged me about life together in the church. Because so many Christians in our culture, in our world today, are discouraged with Christ because of the church. And I want to encourage you, if you are looking for a church or fellowship within the church that is not Christ in your brother or your sister, you will be discouraged. But if you look for Christ in your brother and sister in the church and he's not there, get out of there fast. If he's not there, you won't have fellowship in Christ there with those people. They're not one of his. They may be a club. They may be cultic. They may be something. They're not Christ. But when you go to seek fellowship and you seek Christ in others, your fellowship begins to be in him. He takes the first place, not only in your individual life, in your church life experience he is first and everything first and the last that's who he says he is I am the first I am the last I am the alpha I am the omega I am the beginning I am the end not only of your life of the church God bless you
Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word again. So often we get caught up in all our own uh, personal theologies and doctrines. and It is important to know what you believe and to practice what uh, the Lord gives you as convictions, but so often then that we can allow that to become our God instead of Christ. Thank you for those reminders this morning, Phil. Right, that concludes this part of our service. We'll have lunch ready momentarily here, so stand to our feet if you're able, and we'll have a closing prayer and a blessing on our new meal. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here together this morning. I thank you for your word and for your faithfulness to us this morning and speaking to us through your word and reminding us once again of preeminence of Christ and everything else is simply secondary to that. And I pray that that would be a reality in each one of our lives. I pray that you would bless our time of fellowship and the food that has been prepared. I pray that you would receive all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.